If you work for the Catholic Church and want to avoid burnout, overcome team dysfunction, and put more souls in the pews, we're here to help. I'm Ty Hua with my co-host, John Cons, and we're providing leadership development for Catholic ministry professionals. Every week, you can expect engaging discussions, like today, expert interviews, like today, and actionable advice to help you move Jesus' mission forward in your parish. Now, today... We're having a conversation with a real, live Catholic ministry professional. Eric Gallagher, welcome to the podcast. I don't like that Catholic ministry professional <laughs> label you've, you've placed on me. Um, you're happy to be you're in the box. Yes. You're in the box now. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going to rethink everything I was going to say. <laughs> well, I, I'm excited to have you on the podcast. I, I landed here in the Sioux City Diocese, Eric, and um, everybody here talks about the Sioux Falls Diocese, like all the things that are going on there. And I know we're going to let you tell a little bit about the ministry you do there and then out across the nation. Um, but they always ask me, because I'm from the Sioux Falls Diocese, they always say, like, what what did they have right? Like, what's the secret sauce? What, you know, what have they been doing over there? And I, I always tell them about one guy. Um, and that that's you, Eric. And I, maybe I haven't ever, you know, blown that much smoke your way before. But, um, but I really do. I always say, you know, there's one guy who really led that conversation towards uh, making evangelization and discipleship the standard language of ministry in Sioux Falls. And, and I really do believe you're that guy behind that kind of that pivot point where, where there, there's a lot of good things going on. The spirit is moving. And so I can't wait to pick your brain today. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. It's, the diocese is a beautiful place to be. I was privileged to work in that seat in the diocese for many years. And oh my gosh, there's just story I could share. Hopefully we have a few hours to talk about some of the things that we're going to be talking that I'd love to talk about. <laughs> we don't have a deadline. So, <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, yeah, let me get out of the way. Tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Who is Eric Gallagher? What does his ministry look like? What do you do? Yeah. So I grew up in the diocese in a small, small town, Northeastern South Dakota in Sisseton, South Dakota, a town of 2,400 people at the time. Um, and I, I was a average kind of high school youth ministry product of, I, I wanted nothing to do with the faith. I was frustrated by all things of the church. I took all this, the bad stuff that was going out on my life out on God because it was his fault, basically. Um, someone had the courage to invite me to attend a camp and Jesus just wept the floor with me when I just gave him a little, a little inch to, to speak into my life. And that night I encountered him in a, powerful way and just knew that I wanted to give my life to him forever. Um, so I did, I got in very involved in the church and, um, I would say probably if there's a real value in, in my story that has helped, that helped do some of the lifting, I think in the diocese was, um, I was, I considered myself a social Catholic, right? I, I got involved in stuff. I got very, um, active by going to different retreats and conferences and, um, it wasn't actually until about 10 years into ministry. I was a parish youth minister for seven years. I started from scratch. I was really good at it. I built this big youth group to lots of, most weeks was 40, 50, 60 kids. Um, then the bigger events would have just many, many more. Um, and I did all the textbook things right um, that I read on Facebook. And that was, this was shortly after Facebook even started to exist. <laughs> and so you learned a lot from people. Um, but I built a, a solid youth ministry and then just as kind of it hit that peak where I was ready to, I had gotten my core team together and started, just started investing in them. I got asked to go and work at the diocese. Um, it was a year after I got married. Um, and so I married to my wife and we now have four children. Uh, and we spent the last 13 years working at the diocese. Many of those as the, the youth guy. Um, I know you had Hector on your podcast not long ago, but he's, he took over my, the job that I left was the director of mission engagement. Um, and so I spent many years doing that, but the, the real value to my story, I would say is I, I was asked when I got hired at the diocese to get my master's in theology because I didn't have a degree. I didn't have any former Catholic education whatsoever. And they hired me to be the youth guy at the diocese. I was concerning to the bishop, uh, right, rightfully so. He didn't really know me, um, but they knew my my passion was informing leaders and inspiring leaders to to do ministry. Um, and so they helped me get my my master's degree from the Augustine Institute. 
Um, and it was about a year into that where they assigned Introduction to the Devout Life by St. Francis de Sales. Um, and I would say for the first time, I felt like someone actually started to speak to me in the way that I wanted to to receive. Like that was, I was hungry to give my life to Jesus. Um, and I had a total kind of reconversion of this is actually what holiness is. Um, and this is, this is Jesus calling me forward. And this is what it means to be his disciple, which is, which was at odds kind of with my internal reality, which was, I was just a really active Catholic that worked for the church. And so I was, um, I wasn't like an average Catholic kind of goes to mass on Sundays, like a good Catholic goes to mass and is a religious education teacher. Right. And then an awesome Catholic is like someone who gets paid by the church to be involved in the church. Um, and, and I, I just like, I've just, my whole world was rocked. Like I went through this text and there's just this incredible grace that changed my life. You were around at that time in the diocese and I'm sure you saw the difference in me, but I just started giving everything to God. Um, and I started to see the fruit around me in, in ways that I would have never expected. Um, so I, my story is really, I, I got in ministry, both sides. Like I have the, the dry kind of exciting worldly strategic side of things that I was like, had natural gifts in. Um, and I, I did that well. Um, and it was almost, it almost completely flipped when I started to give my life more to God and started to embrace the teachings of these great saints of Francis de Sales, Teresa of Avila, Ignatius, um, I started to do less of the strategic things that I thought were good and started to do more of the interior things that I knew I, I was called to do. Um, and I, that's when I really started to see everything change. And so it, it wasn't all me, of course, there was a great foundation laid by my predecessors, but as far as my own personal ministry, um, everything changed that year. Uh, and I, I've never looked back. I've just continued to, to give myself to him as much as I could every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have a, kind of a kindred spirit or a similar story in that sense of um, there was a moment where I truly began to pray. Um, and in, in that, at that time, my ministry flipped on its head. You know, before that, I was reading all the books by, you know, Chris Stefanik, uh, Mark Hart, trying to listen to their videos and figure out how to speak to people. Um, and it wasn't until I really began to live from more of an interior life of prayer that I found out that praying for my ministry was actually more effective and fruitful than all of that planning, all the all of that strategery, you know. To right. uh, and so that yeah, that there's really a, a kind of a switch that happens there. Um, I'm wondering if you could speak into just a little bit. Um, one of our like our heart for ministry is really something that I've perceived in ministry, which is that there is a lot of frustration from people who work in the church and, and just a desire to speak into that, that frustration that people experience. I, I know you've worked with dozens um, more, you know, of Catholic ministry professionals, people who boots on the ground in the parishes, doing the work in apostolates. I know you've worked with tons of people and you must hear about some of these frustrations that come from working in the church. And so we, we, we just, Desire to hear, you know, what are some of the areas you see people getting frustrated in their work for the church? Um, and then how do we work around some of those? What are, what are the, what's the fix? What's the solution? Yeah, I've, I've been able to do a lot of that in, in our diocese. That was one of my main roles. That's really why they, they hired me, I think, out of the pool of people, they said. They just knew that I had this passion to, to form the formators. Um, and then also I've done, I've spoken around the country, probably in about 20 different dioceses, just doing different courses and trainings and things like that. I did an online course in, in discipleship specifically for parishes. And um, I think what we find, we're, we're at a time in the church, if we're speaking specifically youth ministry, um, I know this is a, a general ministry podcast, but my, my experience in youth ministry, young adult ministry we're at a time in the church where we have relied very heavily on these events and conferences um, and, and people get tired of that. Um, they, not that or if, if they don't get tired of that, like in one sense, like the fact that it's not sufficient, then they're, then they're not maturing, right? There, there has to be this like recognition that there's, there's a, a an ordinary Christian life that is far more beautiful than like, taking a honeymoon every one or two months with your spouse, like the retreats try to do. Like we don't, we don't need, like, that's not the goal isn't to continue to feed off of this drug um, that just has this huge downer at the end of it. 
the life we're called to is this ordinary Christian life. And I think the main frustration that people who are serious about their job and their faith, I think the frustration is um, they want more. They, they want to look up because if, if you give your life to 10 years of ministry, 20 years of ministry, you're going to be able to look back and you're going to see all of the efforts and fruits, uh, all of the efforts and work and blood and sweat that you've put in, all the sacrifices you've put in. And then you're going to see so many people wasted away, right? You could, you could spend hours and hours with young people and helping them in their faith and find that within a matter of days in college, they just drop every, they just lose it all and they're gone and they become total atheists. And that's the thing that's hardest for it. Like, that's when I started to realize, okay, so I'm not, I'm not doing the right things. Like so I'm, I'm missing something here because um, the only kids that I really saw continuing to live out their faith were ones who already kind of had families and support system. And, and like, there was a rare case of like one or two people who like the, the youth group saved them in a sense, right? So Jesus through the youth group saved them. But statistically speaking, it, kids kind of are in the track of their parents and you just kind of look up and you're like, what am I even here for? And I think that's, that's when you start to get really frustrated. Um, that, that's the interior frustration. I, I think I know I've heard a lot of your guys' stuff and I know a lot of it is just the management, like bad management in the church is one of my biggest pet peeves, but I don't think that's the biggest, I don't think that's the deepest frustration. It might be the most common frustration. Um, but I would say that that desire to make an impact, like I, I want to give my life and everything to the Lord. Um, you attach all the worldly things of like less pay and all these other kinds of things to that. And it just gets really, really hard. I want to see people fall in love with Jesus um, and for them to, to get to heaven. And when all the signs are kind of pointing that it's not working, then you just start to really have to self-reflect. Um, and and I, I did a lot of that after, because I, like I said, I had seven years of youth ministry. Um, and I, I just think that that's, yeah, the, the people that I've met that are serious about their job are serious about their faith. I think that's the biggest frustration is, is why, why are people sinners <laughs> and, and why, why does it seem like everything I do isn't really helping? Um, but I, I know after 20 years of full-time ministry, um, the slow, steady work is really valuable and important. I feel like I've, I've tried to say yes to God in all things. Um, but the most important thing that I've learned is like this whole time God has been working on me. Um, and that's when kind of the frustrations kind of ease when you're like, oh, Lord, I've made this all about the kids the whole time and all about this. But this whole time you've been wanting me. And I guess that's where we should start taking a look. Yeah, there's this um, this real th this reality that yes, he's using you, but also his main goal is you. <laughs> you're you're still the one that he's after, right? Yes, you're yep. there to work work for the ninety nine, right? But he's still after you, and that's this this real deep secret uh, of ministry is that at the root of it, you're still being pursued and have a call to, to respond to that. I appreciate you you really drew that out well. I feel like thank you for doing that. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like people that don't come to that that realization that Jesus is still after me usually fall out of ministry because they don't get that, but then they blame it on burnout. You are burnt out yeah. because you yourself have stopped striving for Jesus and that that uh, holy life. Yep. Or or they stick around and they they shouldn't. Ooh, yeah. To be honest, like that that's that's the hard part. I remember. Um, I led a training in our diocese and it was just kind of the standard annual training. And one of the talks I said, uh, just a simple statement, like don't, don't go and start doing things just because no one else is doing it. Um, and two people within a matter of a week called me and said, Eric, I, I'm resigning. <laughs> and they, they needed like, they, they were sitting in this awkward spot of like wrestling with working for the church or not working for the church. Um, and I, I think both of them were like, basically volunteer like they probably got a stipend to lead their parish program or whatever but um they wanted that freedom just to kind of just to go and leave it be like there's work here that that's god's responsibility and he's making it pretty evident that i i'm not the one who needs to take care of this um so carrying that burden that's another i don't know that that's another downer of frustration for people i think is they just they're yeah they're giving everything and i i say that like i say that with all respect to these people but because I see them pouring themselves out and sacrificing so much. And I feel the church owes them 
something in exchange for that, right? But the the proper thing is owed by a good pastor or a good manager to say like, hey, maybe this isn't the right thing for you. Um, and, and maybe there's something else, maybe there's just this openness of, maybe let's just take 30 days and like pray about what is going on here. That's, I think, what's owed to a per- that a pastor should give his full-time employees or his part-time employees is that that shepherding of their souls as opposed to just like the the measuring of the job description. Uh, and sometimes that that's the awkwardness of the church. And I found that very much in my work as I strive to do ministry, like it's also a profession. Um, and it just gets awkward sometimes when you start to mix the two, being a professional and being a ministry person, because they're not, it's not black and white. Sure. No, that's beautiful. So when you talk about freedom, right, one of the things we like to talk about is like how tools, different tools that you could use can be very freeing. Um, what tools do you think every parish needs to have in their tool belt for for ministry in the 21st century? Yeah, so I, I think the, so I wrote a book with my friend Jim Beckman called Discipleship Focused Youth Ministry, and the vision was, um, basically, it's a makeover process for ministry, but the the first step was if you, if and when you actually have people who are excited or interested in desires of the faith, do you have the tools that are needed to help them? Um, and so I think number one would just be like simple, simple methods and models and encouragement for helping someone who's ready to take those steps and giving them some good, good books. I can, I think youth ministers know this very well, just giving them something simple and it doesn't even matter really what it is. It's just having stuff available to them. That's very basic and kind of, here's how you get started. Um, I think the availability to meet with those people is a, a huge, huge resource and walking with them. By far, if I were to like promote anything as like the thing that we should be paying attention to, it would it would be the uh the thresholds of conversion and the the discipleship roadmap out of focus and Sherry Waddell. Like that's by far, I think to me, the the called and gifted realities that Sherry Waddell uses um, from form intentional disciples. Those kinds of things are like, I, I think, revolutionary to the church we're living in today. Like, they're just, we're just not paying attention to those things. We're not having conversations about the thresholds. Um, people aren't even aware that there is this pathway beyond just being a, a, a mass goer and maybe a Bible study participant and, and just being involved. They, they see their involvement as a checklist. Um, and we're not communicating this like story of their soul that's being drawn to God um, in ways that they can grow in a in a beautiful, intimate, loving relationship with Him. Um, and I just think the stuff from Sherry Waddell hits that right on the head. And then also the uh, I'm going to draw a blank on the name, but the um, Catholic Canadian CCO out of Canada, they're doing they 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 hit the basic evangelization stuff really well. The there's a a book called like coffee conversations or simple conversations, I think is what it's called. Um, that's probably way off, but it's, it's a white book with a coffee cup on it. And it's basically like, you have five minutes to talk to someone about Jesus. They say they're interested. What are you going to tell them? Um, and it teaches a person how to proclaim the charisma, um, in, in very, very good fashion. So this was all stuff that I was training when I was at the diocese, I led the missionary program. And we specifically focused the year-round program on the basic evangelization and simple discipleship efforts that essentially what Focus does for college students. Um, and the missionaries just ate up this really basic training on how do you lead someone into a relationship with Jesus. Yeah, that was kind of an eye-opener for me, um, just in some of the trainings that you had done that, that I've had the pleasure of being at, um, is just looking at the individual in front of you, the people in front of you, and realizing that we're, we're not just meeting them where they are, we're desiring to help them get to that next step. And, and so you need to be able to identify kind of where they are on that discipleship pathway so that you can hopefully speak to them in a way or open up that next threshold, help them get over that next threshold to conversion. Because we do, we do desire them to come to heaven. We do desire them to meet Jesus and, and to be with us in heaven someday. And if we really desire that, we we have to be very intentional. We have to be intentional about what we offer them. And pretty much everybody, right? I mean, that that baseline receptivity to the charisma. I mean, that's what we're that's what our souls are made for. And so when you can proclaim that charisma to someone and use that 
kind of as as a stepping stones as that pathway and be able to 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 bridge that gap it's powerful god does the heavy lifting for you you're yeah. you're just opening the door you're you're stepping into that conversation inviting god into it and we do it with everything else like i had a dentist appointment last week and there's this there's this topic we have to talk about and they address like what it is and how we like get to get through it and the processes and you go to the doctor, anything that comes up, if you're going to take anything seriously, you need to understand it and be able to like, ad- like embrace it and, and follow a plan in order to make it better and better. Um, and it, I, it just boggles my mind why we haven't, we're not doing this. Like, and, and people are like, I'm not real. There are parishes or dioceses, everything that I had set up in the diocese of Sioux Falls before I left, like that was, everything was focused around this formation in this. But when I would bring it up to parish leaders, like they would be scandalized that we would make this, the spiritual life of these students a subject to be talked about and, and assessed in some manner. Um, and, and I watch like, there's a Zoom call, I'm sure there's a recording of it somewhere, but like I watched these leaders like kind of fight about it a little bit. And it was kind of amusing because some of them were just like, isn't that confidential? And isn't, well, you have to protect these things, but let's let's just face the fact we're not even having these conversations in the first place so the fact yeah it seems why are we so embarrassed to talk about this um that i don't i don't get it and so i I do i think it's it's so important we do it in so many other areas of our life um and it's just a great poverty that we're not prioritizing that uh, more and more and i do it now one-on-one with people as i meet with them just just on a one-on-one basis because i find that that's where my gifts are and that's where I, i see great fruit but um I just wish there'd be greater efforts at the parish diocesan levels to do that strategically. Yeah. What what does that look like to you then to implement something like that strategically in a, in a parish? You know, what would that look like if you, in your mind, if you were to approach that as a formation director, or, you know, someone on the staff, a youth minister, and you're like, I, I want to strategically implement this as as a training, as a model for the way we're going to do ministry here at our parish, what would that look like for you in your mind? Yeah, I've done some of this through the courses that I've done, but the like with our missionary program, we actually had, and the diocese had this too. I don't know if they're still using it, but we actually had a database where we tracked everyone, um, and there were shared permissions and all that kind of stuff. And there are there are companies out there now that are kind of doing this. I I never found anything that I liked, um, but you you have a person's name and and the basic two things that I taught the missionaries that we trained them to do, they tracked two main things. Like we had all their contact information, their parents, we had all, all that stuff in the database. And then they tracked two things. One was where are they at on the, on the pathway of discipleship? And there were like nine steps, right? There's the five thresholds of conversion. And then there's the four elements of the discipleship roadmap from focus. And then the second thing was how active are, how engaged are they in the stuff that you guys are doing, the Lumen Christi stuff? And I basically did that not because we were concerned about how active they were. It was to train them. They could be incredibly active and engaged in all the work that you're doing and be and hate Jesus with everything inside of them and want nothing to do with him. And they could be not at all give two rips about anything you're doing and be living, walking saints. You don't know. So your job is to get in and kind of navigate these things. But that was that was really the two things we tracked. Um, and then we just had conversations. They had our missionaries met with their formation person um, about every other week. And they just looked at their, their database and kind of said, all right, here's the students you're working with. They also like, they claimed a kid. So, so like they knew if, if a kid was being worked with by someone, they, they were assigned a missionary. Um, and then, and the missionaries did tell them like, our goal, our work is to talk to you about your relationship with Jesus. Um, is that something you're interested in talking about? Um, and then they would, they would, they would say like, and also I have a boss and, and I do talk to them about these things. They don't know who you are and they're not really, we're not ever going to talk about names, but they're, they're going to help me do this. Um, but it was really practical. And then the, we had this training. If you're, if you could ever, um, talk with Archdiocese of Omaha, we basically stole all of their stuff that we, that they did. They came up with a, a thresholds exercise, which is really cool. It's all on their website. Um, and we basically use that for our trainings along with a couple of other good books. Yeah, I remember going through that that processes of of assigning people to that, and I thought that was that was mind boggling for me. And I, I genuinely think 
any parish that really wants to disciple people, that intentionally wants to evangelize people, that should be the first thing they do with anybody who, who signs up their, for their parish. Yep. They want to identify, even have that person identify where they're at. Either way, they're owning a spot. And then you can have that practical conversation of, okay, like here's some things that you might be interested in based on where you say you're at. You know, let's get yep. you plugged in. Let's, you know, start living this faith thing together. I, I, I really love that as a model. As we did the discipleship stuff in our diocese, that was one of my biggest comments is like, currently the way we determine what program we're going to give or what offerings we're going to give to our students, all we need is their, their grade and their sex. Oh, you're, you're a ninth grade boy. You're going to go in the ninth grade boys group. Well, what are they doing? Whatever the ninth grade boys do. There, there's, there is no engagement with the person of like, where, yeah, where are you, what are you searching for? And how can we help you find that? What do you, what, what's your heart? And, and that's what, that was my mission was just to try to shift that. And it's a slow, painful work when you're like three degrees removed from the, the end product. But, um, there, there's a lot of good work done in that area of our, in our diocese. And, and I really, I would credit just that, that constant vigilance to that reality for my part. And just, and just like expecting that throughout the diocese, whether or not people listen to a word I said at all ever, or like if they even cared. The ones who did, it just made such a huge difference that it was worth kind of the sprinkling of the seeds, basically, and saying, yeah, whoever's going to listen, go for it. I had a I had a boss one time I was talking about being more intentional about the way we discipled our youth in the high school I was at. And he, he sat there across the desk from me and looked at me and said, you know, I know you want to do more more of this this kind of stuff. But, you know, kind of what we need to do is just create the opportunities, you know, and trust the Holy Spirit to do the work for us. Yep. Um, <laughs> and I had some thoughts and ways that I wanted to respond to him, but I valued my job at the time. <laughs> and so, I, I'm, but I'm curious, how would you respond to somebody who says, because he's not wrong per yep. se, but how do you respond to somebody that says, yeah, you, you know, we're, we're just going to create an event and trust the Holy Spirit to do the thing. Yeah. I, I think that's that we're from South, I'm from South Dakota farming is huge go to a farmer and make that your strategy all right we we need corn okay we're just going to throw seeds and hope that they grow right <laughs> like that's it we we're just going to do it and hope or like all all's we can do is plant seeds right that's all we can do no there's there's a lot of work Ooh. to in in cooperation with the rain and the earth and all the things that god gives us there's a lot of stuff that we need to cooperate with but we have a very active role in in making that happen, and we'd be really, really stupid to do it otherwise, right? And and I, I think that's why we have the greatest poverty in our church, and and especially in youth ministry. I, th I just think there's so much waste because that is the strategy. I can just provide opportunities. I I just want to create a healthy place for these kids to come and learn about Jesus. Well, I mean, sorry, but kids aren't like noticed in that. I mean, I, I would often say like. If you're doing something for everyone, you're not actually doing it for anyone, right? That, that I think is the key, like, because I just, I know, and, and a lot of this, I get, this is, this is not a knock on like general ministry that we, but we can do things. I just know my gifts are like, I am here and I'm striving to give my life to Jesus every single day because someone saw me and engaged me very personally and got to know me and invested in me. And that's happened four or five times where people have intentionally sought me out and have given me like just at the right times because they listen to the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and so that's, that's how I feel it's appropriate to respond to others. So we can have coffee and donuts after rolls. We can do general Bible. Like we can make those things available. Those aren't going to be the things that move the needle. And if you, if you look at what's working effectively in the church today, it's it's not those things. It's the it's the really intentional, relational, one to one type thing. Um, that that's where the light. That's where we're seeing the spirit really work and move these days. Mm -hmm. So kind of kind of following from that, the one on one, um, you know, knowing your gifts are are lying there. How do you balance then um, that that practical and the spiritual side of reality? Right there's there's this reality that um, that our work is mainly spiritual, and yet Jesus demands fruit. He, he commands that we bear fruit. And so what, what does that look like? What's that balance for you in your mind? How do you, how do you wrestle with that? Yeah. So 
I think if we're addressing ministry professionals too, by the way, I think that this is where I think the church is going to have to ask a lot of questions because I would say one of the reasons that I'm not in full-time ministry anymore is because I don't know if having a such a heavy emphasis on the spiritual side of ministry that I had, I don't know if that fits well in a diocesan office. Right. And and it's not even that's not even a knock on my diocesan office. It's it's not a knock on anything. I just think that there are professional realities that we have to deal with that are expected when you're a professional. Um, that that balance can be really hard. I'm just someone who's just wired to like, I, I just don't I don't <laughs> I don't handle the 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 politics well, right? And I I just want to be with the people that I'm forming. I do I do think you can set up systems. I'm fully confident in diocesan safe environment realities, all the liability stuff. Like I, I believe all those because they come from authority, we need to be very attentive to those things. Um, I do think we have to learn to be far more creative in working within those systems to respond. Like we, we have to allow the, this, the creative spirit of the Holy Spirit in us to respond in ways um, that it, it just it allows things to happen within the framework that's been provided for us. And so I, I think it's a challenge. I think that we have to, we have to find that balance. And I would argue that especially kind of in, in our diocese, we have parishes, like I know, I know many dioceses, there are parishes with like four or five staff on like youth ministry, right? Though in those, you can have people taking more of an interest in different areas of the ministry and maybe more focuses. If you only have one staff person, I really think the, your your program that you're offering as a staff person is the formation of the leaders who are doing that work, and I, I think that's the that's the thing that's missing is um, you need someone who gets it. Which we're living in a time where we have focused missionaries like everywhere, focused alumni everywhere who have been trained in this really simple work of discipleship and evangelization. You need to bring them in and have them begin to teach and form their adults in their parishes to do that work. Um, and and there is a spiritual element we have to pay close attention to, and I I, I feel like that's lost. I, I've been around the diocese and parishes long enough that I, I don't think we're looking at the the spiritual side enough as we make decisions, and I don't think we have. I don't think we're taking a lot of steps in faith and encourage doing things that no one else is doing. Um, this is you guys have probably talked about before the. Uh, Oh my gosh, what was the big the big book on where they started Alpha and then they like had small groups following it? Divine Renovation. Yep, Divine Renovation. Right. Like my big example of that all the time is like, okay, awesome. This guy, this priest, was divinely inspired, I believe, to make some really awesome changes in his parish. And he did it. And our response is tell us what you did. By that, I mean tell us what programs you implemented to have the change. No, what he did is he opened himself up to the Holy Spirit working through him and responded with this great openness and generosity that the Spirit would work through him. And then all those things happened as a result. And in his mind, I don't think the programs mattered. <laughs> like it was just because that's just the stuff that the Holy Spirit wanted. Like that was that was kind of the the exercise or the activity that they were doing. But we neglect the fact like this is a man who took a bold step and let's look at that and and become that. Um, alpha is great. Small groups are great. All those things are great, but don't ever start there. That is such a pathetic like way to start a, a ministry is <laughs> just to like start strategically with what everyone else is doing. Yeah. There's no discernment in that. Yeah. And it, which, it's, it's a Martha Mary situation, basically. Like we're, we're looking at the one and and we're like, we're almost like what we want it so badly that we start taking our eyes off of Jesus and it start and the turmoil happens. And and I've worked with enough leaders over the years that this is very real. It's happened to me many times. Like it, it's everyone I think struggles with it to some extent. Um, but it's, we just got to keep our eyes fixed on him and he's going to do incredible things through it. Yeah. So within the secular world, cause I don't have a ton of ministry experience, but in the secular world, you look at, managers and say okay what whatever that manager is doing i want to do that and so you start pulling their their reports like okay they're doing the one-on-ones like this let's let's use their template let's use this that and the other and it still doesn't work um i literally had this experience with one of my co-managers in a previous company and it was almost like she she got the stuff but she didn't get it 
right? And the the point of managing yourself is to get yourself to go from I get it to I get it, right? So when we're talking about those people that really get it, now I'm going to ask you this. Who do you know in ministry that's doing it well? Like they really get it. They, they've balanced the, the spiritual side as well as the practical, practical side. This is your chance to brag on someone, but who really does it well? Yeah, I think the obvious one is focus. I mean, I, anytime you ask one of your people, if they don't mention focus, they're missing something. Focus is by far, I think, one of the most fruitful, successful organizations. And part of that is just strategy. Like I do, I believe they have authentic, holy leaders at the very top that are, that are God is using in powerful ways. Um, and like, I've talked with Curtis Martin and even just the way he talks, he, he like in some ways ha- doesn't have a clue kind of what he's doing. He's just so trusting the Lord to like do it. Like he, he's taking these steps of faith. I asked him some pretty hard questions one time when I drove him to the airport and I was almost like scandalized by the amount of faith he had in some of the things he was doing. Um, I think that's that's important. They, they're doing incredible work and they have from a very natural human sec- secular sense, like they have simplified a thing that works and reproduced it around the country. And it, it works. Um, yes, there's bad missionaries. There's good missionaries, all those things. Um, my heart is really, if when I get asked this question, though, I think uh, my heart is always going to go towards like people who are living out a lay apostolate. Um, not even as a as a ministry professional, and I, I think, and I say this intentionally because I think pastors and parish leaders need to train train their eyes to be more focused on that instead of their own work. Anyways, I think we need to look and find the the good things that are happening in our parishes and support and pour gasoline on that rather than like try to build up our own systems and our own pro- programs and get people to help us. Um, I know a spiritual director in a diocese that meets with many many people. Um, and is leading women's groups and Bible studies. She's actually like the, the kind of the chat, the spiritual director for men, several different women's groups in our diocese. Um, and when I talk to those people, the spirit's moving. It's so quiet. It's so beautiful. Um, and then I would, I would also say like Jim Beckman's a good friend of mine. He he's been doing a ministry where he it's the impact center, but his new kind of ministry that he's really been doing his whole life, I think, but now he's finally formalized it at an old age because he just finally submitted and said, Lord, I guess this thing that I've always loved doing is now going to be my profession. Um, he, he's a minister to to ministers. And so he actually meets with people you see like on YouTube, studentville conferences, like the people, you know, in ministry that are, that are doing this stuff, but they, they really are kind of broken too. Um, his, his ministry is to help them. Um, and he's someone when you, when you walk into a room and, and he speaks, like he just has such a genuine, humble faith too. And it, it's something he's, he's really the guy who taught me so much of, he came into my life at that time where I was coming to that second conversion really. And, um, he was living it and I, and I could recognize it and say, yes, that that's the thing I want right now. Um, and there are people all over the country that are doing good work and good ministry that were his students or his disciples. Um, and I just think that's a great testament. Um, and, and I just love it because it's not, focus is definitely on the radar. They're all over the place. It's a little bit annoying sometimes. Um, but these quiet people who are just impacting the world in a deep way, like they're, they're the saints, I think, that are really making a difference. Um, yeah, it's, they need to be bragged on because it's, it's hard work. And I know very well from both the spiritual director and from Jim, like they've been put through the ringer many times and they are, they are suffering servants that are, are giving themselves and being broken and shared Eucharistically to the people of God every day. And I just, I love that I'm, I'm blessed to know them. Yeah, absolutely. Those lay apostolates are so important. I, I do think that there's still kind of that, there's a big hangover yet from how much we had to tighten things over and from safe environment protocols and all those things that we get in our own way as a church so yep. many times because they're like, oh, there's an apostolate. Well, we can't advertise their stuff because they're not safe environment trained or we can't, yep. uh, we, we either need to have complete control of it or it can't exist. And and so many times we, we, sh- we just clip the Holy spirit right out of it and want to do that instead of really this relational ministry that you're, you're talking more about this intentional ministry that 
sits across the table from somebody and actually gets to know them, has those important conversations so that you can step out in faith and step out in trust, get to know these people and um, implement them, you know, really trust them to work in your community. I, I just, that, that's beautiful. Cause I, I know so many, we have a group of families that we meet together with uh, once a month and every one of them has some specific thing that to me as a, as a ministry professional really feels like a calling on their heart. One, one of them really wants to do, um, she's a nurse and she's passionate about NFP and she's like, I want to get trained and I want to offer it for free in our parish, but I can't get our pastor to sign off on it. Yep. <laughs> and I'm like, like this one thing that we just beat people up about morally that we say is absolutely essential. And there's, there, there's no resources. we got a woman here that wants to be the resource. Can't get the pastor. <laughs> Yeah, and and this is this is a shift. This will be the make it or break it for dioceses and parishes. Now, it it, we are in a time of the apostolate in the church. There's no doubt about that. Might focus as a lay apostolate of the church, right? Right there. I someone told me they were they were now formally a part of the the Catholic director, whatever, which means they're tied to some diet. I don't know if that's true or not, but for forever they weren't they weren't even technically Catholic, right? They but they. They developed their lay apostolates, and then they built relationships with bishops, and they and they created these these partnerships, just like you would with the people who we cater donuts from, right? And for our parish, like they they bring in donuts. It's the same, like yeah, we we want your service, and we'll and we'll we'll exchange it for that. Um, it is a time of the the lay apostolates. I, I think if we look around, the the most exciting, fruitful things happening in the church are lay apostolate things. They're not. There are parishes that are doing good things, fruitful things. Usually, that's because of a certain gifted individual, um, and and the ministry that they're doing. But I I don't think the the systems and structures that we've set up in parishes, um, it, it's just not the way that I'm seeing God really move in the church today. Obviously, there are exceptions, but I think this idea of trying to hire a person to do ministry just is problematic in many senses, and because it just focuses are all around that person who's a temporary person in that parish. And we have all these ups and downs as a result. Not saying it can't be done. I, I'm speaking again from a diocese where we have one person as a staff person. Um, and that's really challenging when you have that one person and it's all focused around their gifts in ministry. So I just think that shift is going to have to happen where we have to be able to find creative ways to shine a light on and support exactly what you're saying, John. Like these things that are happening, these people are doing things to be able to like Maybe you don't have to formally endorse them. I under, again, I understand all the liability, all that kind of stuff, but I think there's creative ways that we can help them. Um, I know in, in the Protestant world, they they do they they tithe to certain missions and stuff within their parish. Like they they give money to people, they they support them formally to go do these things. Um, so I think it's a mix. I think it's part of it's our priests, our bishops, just got to be more courageous and be willing to take a risk on people that they trust. Um, and be willing to suffer the damages if if something happens. Um, and I think we just got to get smart and creative and understand that you, you don't really all the ministry that I'm doing right now, like I don't I don't really need anyone's permission in the church to do it. Right now, if I get more formally attached to parish life or I start working with young people, like then things kick in and I get all that. Um, but it is it's the time of the lay apostolates, and I think those those people who are in that space where they are they're hungry to do something. Um, I'm seeing so many people leave full-time ministry to basically go start a nonprofit and kind of raise the money to do their own thing because they they want to get rid of that red tape <laughs> of working mm-hmm. in the institutional realities of the church. And then I also see many people who are just very drawn and gifted in the life of the institutional church. And they're they're great DREs, they're great youth ministers, and that's fine. Like if the pastor, if that's what the parish needs, um, it just that just can't be our sole focus is that one ministry from that one person. Um, it just is, it diminishes people's enthusiasm in other ways. Amen. All right, Eric, Eric, here is the big question. Everybody wants to know, um, if you had the attention of the whole world for 90 seconds, what would you say? Repent and believe in the gospel. I, I, and I'll say this, I mean, this, I'll start with that. I listened to a couple of the other podcasts. No one actually answers the question well, so I feel okay not answering it like perfectly as you asked it. Um, I, Hector actually basically said he didn't he didn't like the question. Want to change the question? You said you'd hate him. You can hate me too. Uh, we will. <laughs> but I, 
So my biggest thing, and I'll, I'll focus on, on youth leaders and such too. I think the difference is, and this is again, from my own experience, like when we go to a, when we go to a conference, when we have that extraordinary experience of God's love, that's not conversion. Okay. We we're experiencing God's love. He's giving us a taste. Conversion requires death and sacrifice, right? Like I get a hundred students at camp and they're all having fun and games and they show up and they, they enter into adoration and they start crying. They have given nothing to participate in that relationship with God. It's, it's an extraordinary, beautiful grace that God has given them. And it, yeah, and yes, and they, all these feel goods of like, like the only sacrifice is that it like eight days later, it's not fun anymore. Right. And that, that's like the thing they're struggling with. Why can't it just be fun all the time? Why can't it be awesome all the time? If, if I had 90 seconds to talk to the people of the church, I would help them say, like, we need to figure out ways to like invite people into the charisma, which requires death and, and acceptance and suffering of the life of Jesus. And we need to start talking about how we're going to do that. And so I'm all, I'm all for inviting people to have the experience of God's love because it's powerful, it's beautiful. But don't then, one, assume that they are disciples now. Because again, they haven't dropped anything. They're just, they're just like I was when I went home. I was still doing all the same stupid stuff that I was doing before I had my experience of God. Um, but two, they, they haven't even been taught what it means to love God and how to do that well. And they haven't even started to begin to, to associate themselves with those things yet. Um, and so we need to learn to like teach people what radical holiness looks like and, and walk with them in that. Um, and that's why I say repent and then believe in the gospel, right? And, and, that's, and I like it because repent is first, which means you're choosing to love before all the good things even begin happening. You're willing to sacrifice and say yes, which is actually love then. It's authentic love to choose it before the other person even gives anything in response. Um, and if we can learn to live that way as Christians, we're going to see him work through us and experience joy in ways we've never had before. Beautifully said. Yes, we do hate both you and Hector Bautista for changing the question. <laughs> Who's running the show here? That's what I want to know. Unbelievable. When I when I first got that question, though, I was like, I'm going to type it out because I want it. It's going to be exactly 90 seconds. Like I just had to record a promo video for a project I'm working on, and it has to be 60 seconds for a YouTube short or an Instagram short or whatever. And it's like I had it at 58 seconds perfectly after fine tuning. I'm I almost came into this ready to give you an exact 90 seconds scripted response, but I didn't feel I owed you that respect just yet. <laughs> we haven't earned it. <laughs> That's all right. We're still trying to overcome team dysfunctions over here too. So that's all right. No, Eric, this is really um, an awesome conversation. And what we like to do is, you know, you're, you've, you've bragged on focus, but the next person that you think should be on the show to have these discussions and maybe change some of our questions, um, who do you think that next person should be? Uh, you should definitely call Jim Beckman. Um... I also really like um, what um, Casting Nets is doing down in Kansas. Um, they run a camp, a summer camp called Transform Your World. Um, and, they, and they invite a, a good, it's kind of like the Going Deeper retreats that I used to lead at the diocese, except it's a little bit longer. And they bring in like Chris, Chris Paget and Jackie Francois and Sarah Swaffer and Jim Beckman basically to invest and pour into these kids. Um, so Casting Nets, both of those guys are awesome. Um, and if you want, if you want like the voices that I'm seeing online, especially a lot of people are paying attention to Sherry Waddell is, is awesome. And of course it'd be a great gift to have on the podcast. Um, anyone from CCO would be great. And then I think, um, the people from Damascus, I know Hector talked about Damascus as well, but camp Damascus, my kids went to that last year. Um, and they, they got it figured out. I think. Um, Yeah, I I could give you more names. If if you want a fun youth ministry one, he's Everett Fritz would be happy to do something like this. Um, him and I see eye to eye on so many of the things. The strategies important. We're very different, I think, in the way we say it. Um, but he'd be a hoot to have on the podcast. He's, I think, I have strong opinions. I'm pretty. It's nothing compared to Everett Fritz. So <laughs> can't wait to hear some of that. But I, I love his perspective and he's done some really good work. Um, I think the 
he was part of the work with uh oh my gosh what's the high school the catholic high school in iowa um that's gonna drive me nuts but they have a really thriving and actually that'd be another one there's the the gal who runs their the small group um program at that catholic high school uh it's i'm drawing a blank as to what the name is but i'll send it to you guys she's awesome i've been on the phone with her she gets it she rocks very generous and in fact i think it's so big that they have made her kind of a they've allowed her to basically be an outreach person to other places to do what they've done at like a catholic school is paying someone to help other people do what that catholic school has done <laughs> so it's pretty crazy that's pretty cool Eric, this has been a great conversation. Um, thank you for being on the podcast. Now, is there anywhere our listeners can go to connect with you or support your ministry? Yeah, if you, I, I'm starting a, a really slow, patient ministry that's focused on spiritual formation, prayer, discernment at sushipe.co. It's S-U-S-C-I-P-E dot C-O. Um, that's kind of like the ministry that I do that's, that's focused on the spiritual life, really. Um, but I'm sure it'll be, well, we're launching in soon, but it'll be after this podcast or before this podcast releases. Um, I'm starting the catholicbest.com. It's, it's, it'll be, um, feature, it'll formally happen January 31st. Um, but this is my work with lay apostolate still. Um, my love is just meeting people and going on and the mission is to help people discover the best Catholic everything. I know you guys already got your podcast in there, so you're you're one of the early adopters. Um, but I'm very, very excited about that. So find find that at thecatholicbest.com. Sounds great. Well, Eric, thank you for being on the podcast. And thank you, dear listeners, for listening to the Catholic Ministry Professionals podcast. If you want to transform your parish through your work, but you're not sure where to start, Download the free parish health assessment at catholicministryprofessionals.com slash free assessment. It's just 36 questions, only takes about five minutes to fill out. And afterwards, you will have a color-coded picture of your parish's health that you can then use to fuel better conversations, prioritize better work, and become a better leader. Email us at catholicmenpros at gmail.com to share feedback or request a free consultation. And finally, don't forget to text this episode to a priest or a friend of ministry that can benefit from it. And with that, we'll see you in the vineyard. Mm-hmm.